We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Good morning, old spiritual friends, new ones, guests, and my family and friends here today. I am so honored to be here today and excited to speak with y'all. We're doing a summer series inspired by Doug's book. I'll not be quoting the book, and I can't say I have even read it in the last three years. Sorry, Doug. I can't say I read it. I loved it. And since Doug modeled both in that book and always having the, conver- having the courage to tell your truth, in the book and in every interaction I've had with him since, um, this lesson is a direct product of that culture that he and we are building. The lesson centers on the Bible. As the team reflected on my lesson we met on Friday, we thought it could be kind of fun to do a real-time simulation about how ideas and stories can get passed down over time and generations. Keep in mind, many of our traditions, sacred stories, preceded the time of writing. So much of the Old Testament was passed on just this way. Sue came prepared today with a proverb, I believe from the Gnostic Gospels, an alternate set of Gospels written in the years after the death of Jesus. She, she told, maybe I should let you explain the process you used since you did it. And um, then I'll, we'll see how it turned out. So yeah, so I pastored uh, a few of you this morning, and um, my first victim was Cameron. And I did, I read to him a saying from the Gospel of Thomas. And then I said, I want you to take this stick that I have here from the Lord of the Rings, and I want you to pass it on to someone and tell them what I just said. And he said, wait a minute, can you, can you tell me that again? And I told him that again. And he said, okay, I've got it. And so he passed it on to someone else and said what he heard, who passed it on to someone else, who said what she heard or they heard or what they wanted to say. That's basically what happened. So... Um, and then I asked everybody who had that stick at some point to write it down, so I also have a written uh, recording of what people heard. And I'm not sure what else you want to do with that. Just okay, well, yeah, so I'll, I'll okay. let you know. So what I want you to tell us, Sue, is um, what, what was your first message? What was the actual Gnostic Gospel message? So I uh, actually have to pull it out of my pocket and read it because... I can't, I can't read it off the top of my head either. I can't say it. So. But this is a pre-literate society now. We're using oral tra- transmission. Are you yes. allowed to read it? I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> we're not purists here, I'm Doug. Kate, and I don't care what the rules are or what society we're in. So this is, this is the line that I uh, spoke to Cameron this morning. Jesus said, let one who seeks not stop seeking until that person finds. And upon finding, the person will be disturbed. And being disturbed will be astounded. 
and will reign over the entirety. R-A-I-N-R-E-I-G-N. R-E-I-G-N. Okay, so that was the original message. How many people do you think it passed through? According to my notes here, five. Okay. And what was the final message after it went through all of those iterations? Welcome to our kingdom. <laughs> wow, I don't think I really need to say much about that. <laughs> I think that's really crystal clear in terms of uh, my, the point I was hoping would be made uh, just by this very close-knit community in a matter of how much time? In a matter of 15 minutes, um, how a complicated message could uh, evolve, let us say. Okay, next slide. All right, so um, speaking of meandering messages, I also stumbled upon uh, a framework of Alice in Wonderland for this lesson, which is actually a little odd. I never watched more than 20 minutes of that movie in my life, despite the fact that it was released in 1951. Um, as a youth, I needed a clear plot and clear characters, and the trippy absurdism of the film just really left me frustrated and confused, and I usually shut it off or fell asleep. I don't know what it says about me in middle age that I am suddenly aware of how long and weird life is. And this movie seems to capture that vibe, and I'm suddenly here for it. <laughs> As I watch Alice just run down a path chasing a white rabbit for reasons she really hasn't stopped to consider critically, that feels very familiar to me. When she starts shrinking and growing and her perspective gets shifted, that also feels very familiar to me. When she encounters a cast of fascinating characters, all different and with obviously different personalities and assumptions about what clearly is and isn't, that also feels very familiar to me. And when she is grief-stricken at how far she has come and how far she is from the simpler life of her past home, that also feels very familiar, familiar to me in this season. I'm about to tell you a story of how I started down a path of spiritual discovery with the same blind zeal as Alice embarked on hers. And as I encountered new characters and experiences, big things like the Bible got smaller. And little things, like my historical narrative of reality, widened out in scope and got very big. And that journey has been transformative, and I'm quite sure I cannot go home again to a similar time. I want to preface this lesson with the fact that I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm a southern woman who paid close attention at a very young age to what one could do to be seen and be safe in a tumultuous time in the U.S. called the 1970s. I grasped onto the path of perfectionism as a coping strategy. I achieved in the game called school and went on to attend UNC Chapel Hill on scholarship and teach history, politics, psychology, sociology, and African-American history for 28 years in the public schools. I've now retired, started a second career, and I'm the mom of two wonderful teenage girls and the wife of a Raleigh police officer. I tell you all of this just to orient you about my perspective. I think about the best thing I can do for this lesson is just tell you a story about my walk with a book called The Bible. I've enjoyed hearing other folks in this community do the same. At the very least, at the end of the story, we'll have some common ideas to discuss since we just heard the same story. 
And we can then consider it from our own unique perspectives. And in so doing, we will feel connected. And that in itself is a great takeaway. You do not need to feel the need to agree with me, get in line, etc. This is common thread for goodness sake. In my childhood, the members of my family most outspoken about their faith were Southern Baptists and Methodists. My immediate family's actual church attendance ebbed and flowed. In general, I sensed that there was this very sacred book called the Bible, and it was unlike other books. You had to treat it with reverence, like the actual physical pages. You couldn't draw on it, for example, or put stickers on it. We seemed to collect them, as they were never recycled, donated, or thrown away. I didn't see members of my immediate family actually pick one up and read it regularly. But there's a discussion about how we should, because that book was quote-unquote and capitalized, the word of the Lord. The story of the Bible, the plot, if you will, went kind of like this as far as I could discern. God made the world and everything in it. Adam and Eve screwed it up and sinned. Well, really, Eve, more than, and more on that later. <laughs> and so then later, God kind of did a do-over by making a covenant with Abraham. That pact kind of said, Abraham, here are the laws. Follow those, and I'll treat your family really, really well. Turned out, we still couldn't behave. So God sent Jesus to cancel out our sin debt and teach us the new deal. And the insurance policy, that we would get it right, from there on, was that God inspired this book to be written, the Bible. An instruction manual of sorts, especially the New Testament part. Since I was very determined to be a very good girl, I quickly realized you could get a lot of positive attention for picking up and reading this book, or even just pretending to read it. <laughs> and so I did, many times. I can't tell you how many times I started to read the whole thing. Straight no chaser, well, except for an English translation. I did not learn Aramaic, the, the language Jesus spoke. Hebrew or Greek, I am so sorry to report. I always made it through Genesis and Exodus, sometimes Leviticus and Numbers. One time I made it to Deuteronomy. I found myself getting really confused about all the begats and the really weird and twisted things that went on. Several times I skipped to the good parts. It wasn't about sex, it was where Jesus did and said things. Those were the good parts I knew of. Hadn't found out about the Song of Solomon yet. All right. <laughs> My 10-year-old self was really obsessed with the Noah's Ark story. I could not get my head around it. I remember waking my parents up at like 2 a.m. one night because I could not sleep thinking about Noah's Ark story. My dad and I sat down in the middle of the night. I don't know why he picked the short straw that night, but uh, we sat down in the middle of the night to hash it out while I cried. I was like, Dad. Why would God kill all the people? And then, after he killed them, he promised not to do it again. Right? So, did he realize it was a mistake? But isn't God all-knowing and does not make mistakes? And why do we decorate babies' rooms with this ark? <laughs> isn't it weird to, like, reinforce the idea that parents will kill their children if they're bad? And if God can kill them and still be God, and it will be justified, um, can you kill me 
and it will be justified since I'm sinful? Can you imagine being my dad at two in the morning? Like you're just trying to get a good night's sleep to go to work the next day. I don't even remember what he said. But really, what could he say? I just know it in no way satisfied my troubled soul. As I get older, my soul got even more troubled by the Bible. I was explained to, it was explained to 13-year-old me that women's lives are harder than men's as punishment for Eve tempting Adam in the Garden of Eden. So that's why women menstruate and bear the pains of labor. As punishment. Whew, this guy is petty. <laughs> Gave us free will. Then we used it. Then we got punished for it. I wasn't even there, and I'm getting punished month in, month out, many begats later. Like, like yikes, okay? By high school, I was learning about the history of racism in America, and I was super confused about how good white Christians were so darn racist and mean to black people. Like, how do you love your neighbor and make their kids go miles away to a different school just because they have melanin in their skin? Like, it just made no sense. When I had the courage to speak this out loud to fundamentalist uh, friends and family, it was explained to me how this was also part of God's plan plainly written in the Bible. The story of Ham was trotted out. Apparently, Noah's son Ham had the nerve to look upon his drunk dad in a tent and created shame. That was punishable with a curse on all of Ham's children thereafter to be the quote-unquote servants of the world. And somehow, even though it was not stated in the text, everyone just knows, quote-unquote, Ham had dark skin. So the subjugation of black people was, you guessed it, just part of God's plan. By college, I decided I really needed to get to the bottom of this and maybe seek some new sources. I'll admit, I purchased and read, cover to cover, the Cliff Notes version of the Bible. <laughs> I highly recommend it, actually. Just a straightforward and unvarnished, here's what it says kind of rendering that I found absolutely satisfying. Holy cow. The Song of Solomon? Hello. The, <laughs> the concubines? The sack of foreskins? The murder, intrigue, plotting and scheming, the violence. So much stuff I never heard, not once, in church. Another thing, another really funny thing happened to me in college. You see, UNC Chapel Hill was a very big place. There was someone I was supposed to seek out to help me with course selections, but that one time I sought them out, they were really not very helpful. I was a first-generation college student, so no family could advise me. I read I had these certain requirements that I had to collect to graduate, and I started working to check them off my list. I was not a very discerning consumer. If I had a slot in my schedule, and there was a class being offered at that time that was on my checklist, I grabbed it and showed up. As a result, I took some of the most bizarre classes in college. I took a whole anthropology class on totem poles. Three Northwest tribes, just in case you're wondering. My first art class was called Early Netherlandish Painting. My first art class ever <laughs> in my life. Early Netherlandish Painting. I think I went into that class not actually knowing that the Netherlands was a country. <laughs> and that those people who are called, uh, they speak Dutch. Like, I thought Netherlandish was a painting style, like, <laughs> impressionist. 
But holy cow, those Bruegel paintings of hell were wild. I took a whole class, a whole class, that flipped the Adam and Eve story, identified its existence in many cultures, and actually credited Eve, the character, with breaking us out of cyclical agricultural time and into historical linear time. Like she is the archetypal heroine of humanity. <laughs> also, these classes had me so stressed out. You could not hide. I took a classics class with 10 people in it where we read Herodotus's History of the World from 430 BC. It's a book this thick. I took a class on the High Middle Ages with 12 people in it where we studied feudalism, the birth of the papacy, the Great Schism. The professors in all these classes called you by name, for God's sakes. It was like drinking out of a fire hose. By exam day, I was a nervous wreck. But looking back on that, I don't think I would change it a bit. It was drinking out of a fire hose, but I digested a lot. My whole view of the Bible shifted when I took Bart Ehrman's class on the historical Jesus in 1991. Ehrman was a student of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were founded in the 1950s, and was deconstructing so many narratives about early Christianity. In his class, I learned that the Gospels were li likely not written until 50 to 80 years after the death of Christ. It's just while I drink water, let's think about the 15 minutes we just saw. We learned that Matthew and Mark and Luke may have been written by consulting the book of Mark. Or that all three were constructed after reading a third source biblical scholars call Q. We learned that there were other gospels, like those written by the Gnostics, that didn't quite make the cut in pulling together the canon of literature we eventually came to know as the Bible. Just that idea right there was amazing to me. The Bible was not written. It was collected, sorted, resorted, edited, translated, retranslated. Mainly by a very small select group of educated white men steeped in patriarchy at a very particular time in world history. Then in 1463, a snapshot version of it was printed and distributed. At first, a very select group of people read the Bible and interpreted it for the masses, but their abuse of power led to the Reformation, and the printing press set the Bible, quote-unquote, free, free to be read by the masses, interpreted and misinterpreted by the masses, pushed through even more translations. It was like an arbitrary and intricate game of telephone, and my sense was, by the time the message had gotten to Angie in 1975, it had gotten really, really twisted. So what to do with the Bible? It seemed like you best not read it without a pretty healthy dose of skepticism, historical knowledge, and linguistic awareness. That felt like a lot of work. I was a busy teacher and coach, newly a wife. It would have to wait. When my kids were born, I decided that even I'd, if I didn't really see the Bible as an instruction manual for life anymore, my kids might be disadvantaged in school if they knew nothing of it. Like those early Netherlandish masters I encountered, I would have totally failed that class had I had no biblical background. That realization led me to search for churches, and that search led me here in 2011. This amazing minister. What was his name? Oh, yeah, Doug! <laughs> Once did a lesson that set my imagination on fire. 
he suggested that before the Bible, there were the first Christians. And we could pay very close attention to what those people, those most directly inspired by the actual life of Jesus, did in the centuries right after his death. They did cool stuff, guys, like listening to women. They helped bury the poor. They tended to very real needs. And they met and talked with each other. Before the scripture was elevated to instruction manual inherent word of God status, there were actually multiple sources of authority for determining what was true and good. They were, and I should have made a slide for this, but I didn't, so I'm going to repeat it twice. They were experience, intuition, community, tradition, and sacred writings and stories. Okay, there's five of them. Sacred writings and stories being just one of the five. The other four are experience, intuition, community, and tradition. In a time of crisis or decision, you might consult all of those sources for information and then discuss at length what each had to say on a given matter. It would require a lot of discernment, a lot of community interaction. You would need to work together to uphold the traditions, remember the stories, recount your experiences to others, remember community-based norms, and remember how they came to be. At first, the powers that be in Rome saw these Christian people as dangerous, and then they saw them as co-optable. They just needed to consolidate power in the hands of those with authority. Gather a book together, frame the narrative in a simple story that would encourage people to get in line. And so, between 300 years after the death of Christ and 500 years after the death of Christ, a standardized form of the Bible was born. At first, it was a tool mainly of the papacy, then it was freed by Martin Luther and the printing press. Coincidentally, the printing of the Bible coincided with a mass migration westward where many a settler no longer had access to the kind of community and tradition the early Christians enjoyed. The familiar rhythms of, li of tribal life, then feudal village life, were replaced by exploration and ultimately the wage labor system and geographic mobility. People picked up roots navigated across oceans, eked out a living in a new land, subjugated and exploited labor to survive and then profit, and gathered once a week, if they lived in a town, to hear the most educated among them, or at least the one willing to accept the call, spin a story from the Bible as a new instruction manual. A couple generations of that led my forebears, subsistence farmers in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina, to have a lot of confidence in the Bible is all you need narrative. I'm just not buying the Bible is all you need narrative anymore. It's time for me to elevate the other sources of authority in my life and I'm dedicating more time to those pursuits. Building a community here to help me see all perspectives and interpret my experience and I'm doing that with you all. Listening to my intuition appreciating the gifts of the traditions that exist, and looking at other sacred writings like the Celtic Christians who were not Romanized, the Gnostics and the Quakers. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just rebalancing the Bible to its rightful place. 
an arbitrary snapshot of the last 3,000 to 4,000 or so years of non-Asian human history in a world where our species might have existed for 300,000 or 100,000. The fact we don't know which one of those numbers is right, that our species has existed for 100,000 or 300,000, is actually wild. Conservatively, that 3,000 years is just 3% of human history and collective wisdom. That 3%, that 3,000 years documented in the Bible is 3% of human history and collective wisdom. So, the other thing that's important to understand is those 3,000 years captured in the Bible were uncharacteristically patriarchal and dualistic. So, I'm rethinking the proper position of the Bible for sure. How about you? Indwelling divine, let us have the curiosity and courage to seek peace both within ourselves and with one another. Help us listen with open hearts, integrate new information, attend to nature, and develop spiritual practices that will serve us well in our journey. And thank you for the faith community we find ourselves in, where that curiosity and courage is embraced and celebrated. Amen. Thank you, Doug. That means a lot to me. I'm excited to see you all there. <laughs> um, I'm up here just to do the, the usual closing us out, but, but I can't resist. Um, there, I live in a neighborhood with a bunch of other church members, and this morning there was a flurry of activity on our text threads with one family who shall not be a named. Hey, Kristen, I got your Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they have to send their kid to summer camp, and they were like, we don't, and they, the kid has to bring a Bible, and nobody had one. <laughs> so we all had to, well, I had to like look around in our houses trying to figure out if somebody amongst the bunch of us had a Bible, so we found one. And I was okay. like, I'm not buying it. Yeah, usually I won't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <clears throat> thank you, Doug. So, um, uh, as you know, we are all we all donate online at this point, um, and the slide is up behind me so that you can do that. But we also wanted to check in because there's been a lot of news lately, some emails, and so I have a little message here uh, for us. So, as you know, we had a community meeting in May. We talked about our finances after the move and after the pandemic. Um, Doug told us more about being behind on our monthly budget. <clears throat> As you know, we had reserves that helped us with the one-time costs of moving. And good news, after our first month after that meeting, our giving was right at budget. So, when you get the finance report, Remember to please not be discouraged, because yes, we went into the red by about 3,000, but those were the one-time expenses associated with moving in. And we probably have about two more of those coming up,
because of the cost of the sound booth, which is that uh, interesting looking thing that is being built back there, and of course also the lighting, the cabling, and the electrical will cost. <coughs> so uh, those couple more financial reports are coming up, but again, we can sustain the one-time costs. It's the monthly we need to focus on. And as I just said, we are right on track. So thank you very much. Thank you for keeping in mind what we say every week, that there is good return when we invest in our spiritual community. So please use the slide behind us to continue with our do online donation practice. <coughs> So I know that you're all probably excited to move on to What Are You Thinking, which uh, Angie will be leading today. So online folks, um, we will and are looking forward to seeing you in the What Are You Thinking Zoom. And as you know, the code to get into the online Zoom to participate in What Are You Thinking is 1417. Mysteriously, the old address at our old church. <laughs> Very helpful for remembering it. <laughs> one four one seven. So we look forward to seeing you in the online Zoom. So, if you would, let us prepare to be dismissed so that we can move on to what are you thinking. So, if you would, please put your hand on your heart as we dismiss the live stream folks, and remember that we are every one of us carriers of the indwelling divine. That means that love and joy and peace, and kindness, and goodness. They are in us because the divine breath is in us. And if you would, extend your other hand to the city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's in us with the people with whom we work, and live, and go to school. Looking for opportunities to repair and heal our world. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.